Hey readers, I'm Ann Vogel, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 212. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Readers, today we are doing all the literary matchmaking. We had a glorious gift recommendation episode two weeks ago with novel neighbor owner Holland Saltzman a What Should I Read Next favorite guest, but I hope you haven't put that wrapping paper away because today we're bringing you even more bookish gift-giving ideas geared toward the people many What Should I Read Next listeners consider the hardest to buy for. The nonfiction readers, the true crime lovers, the political thriller fanatics, and the doorstop history book deep divers. Sometimes these are called dad books, sometimes they're called dude books, and our inbox was definitely full of people desperate for recommendations for their dads, brothers, grandpas, but really, genre knows no gender. And around here, the expert we trust for nonfiction, crime, and intrigue is none other than Tracy Thomas from The Stacks Podcast. Tracy first joined us for episode 162 called The Best Bad Ending You'll Ever Read. Definitely go back and listen if you haven't yet, or listen again, we won't object. Then Tracy came back for our 200th episode celebration, and when she did, she joked that we could start a new podcast and call it Read Like a Dad. So readers, here we are, making it happen for the holidays. Today, we are recommending a boatload of titles, but just like every week, we've got the full list of books we talk about today, ready and waiting for you in show notes. Visit whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 212, that's 212, for the full list. Let's get to it. Tracy, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me back. It's actually been longer than I realized since we talked last for the podcast. Yeah, it's been like a year. It has been. (laughs) Episode 162, the best bad ending you'll ever read, where we talked about reading like a dad. 
my signature. Lots of people find me on after listening to the episode and be like, I read like a dad too. So I feel like we have to rebrand and it just has to be reading not like everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) But there's so many people who read like this. Yeah. Like it's not really like a dad, I guess. It's just reading different than a lot of women on bookstagram, I think is more accurate. Okay. So many people assume that they're the only one who does something in their reading lives Mm -hmm. or that everybody else, heavy air quotes there, does a certain thing. And really, they're just looking around in their environment and seeing how it seems everybody else does it. And if you are on Bookstagram, what would you think? You would think that nobody reads like you. It's because I think it might be kind of sexist almost. Like I think I might have pigeonholed myself in a weird sexist way as if women can't read the way that I read, but I do and I'm a woman. So therefore, I read like a woman. (laughs) And you know, I was just talking about this with my husband, how when I go on book tour and when I do public literary events, people ask me in every city, I have a guy in my life who doesn't read. What can I do? Or they'll hear me say something like, like Will last year, he had his best reading year ever, according to his own description. And I mentioned this in a blog post or a podcast somewhere. And I got so many messages and emails that said, you have to tell me what books he is reading because I have a guy in my life who doesn't read. And part of me is like, I love your enthusiasm. And part of me is like, that's not, that's not, that's not how it works. Right. And so I feel that tension between like my husband created a bookshelf for himself that he calls his dude bookshelf. And yet plenty of women would enjoy those books. I'm sure all the books on his dude shelf I've probably read and loved. (laughs) But yeah, it's tricky because it's not exactly, reading isn't gendered, but there are things that I think we're we're told that we're supposed to like, you know, just like if a man wears nail polish, nail polish isn't gendered, but some men prefer it and some don't or, you know, anything like that. To clear our path, why don't you tell us in your own words, what's your taste in books? I love nonfiction. I love true crime, but narrative, less about individual crimes and more about um, systemic crime or a large crime. So for example, I think when I was on the show, I talked about A Thousand Lives by Julia Shears, which is a book about Jonestown. So I like a true crime book that's got a bigger social implication. I love reading about race, sex, gender, all sorts of cultural criticism. If I'm going to read fiction, I love a plot. I love a short fiction. (laughs) I just read uh, The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead, and I think Mm -hmm. it's pretty much a perfect book. It's 212 pages, which helps. So yeah, and I like dark stuff. You're going to be hard-pressed to get me to read a romance, though I did read my first romance this year. Milestone. What'd you read? The Hating Game by Sally Thorne. And what'd you think? It was cute. I don't know. I love a rom-com film. I don't know if my reading life a space for that. I want to just chill out if I'm going to be doing something fun. And I feel like I would rather be on my couch eating popcorn and watching a romantic movie because I feel like reading is a learning time for me. I don't mm-hmm. use reading to escape from the world. I feel like I use learn- reading to go deeper into the world. Mm-hmm. And TV is much more. Let's just hang out and chill and I can be on my Twitter and I can just, you know, paint my nails and veg out. So for those who read like you like to read or who have people in their lives that do, we are here to help with your literary matchmaking dilemma requests. 
I'm so excited. So what we did is we solicited requests from What Should I Read Next listeners for people in their lives who are impossible to buy for, mostly because like you were saying, Tracy, they want to read the latest literary novel or the newest rom-com or an old rom-com, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And so when they look at their father who only reads presidential biographies, if there's not a new one on the shelves of their local bookstore, they just have no idea what to get. And if their dad really likes to read those and there is a new one, chances are he's probably read it already, right? Oh, very true. That's always the problem. Yeah. And if you are a reader, it doesn't take long to knock out one of those, you know, even if it's a new hefty like Ron Chernow kind of book. Yeah. So we're trying to keep you all in books the best way we know how. This episode goes great alongside our most recent holiday gift recommendation episode with Holland Saltzman of The Novel Neighbor, because usually we do one and we did two this year because Tracy, we wanted to have you back to talk about all the nonfiction, everything. So thank you. There's also a gift guide for book lovers on Modern Mrs. Darcy. It's modernmrsdarcy.com as there always is. And we have a gift guide for kids this year also on modernmrsdarcy.com. And Tracy, I believe you have something exciting going on for the holidays over on the staff. Can you tell us more? At The Stacks, which is my podcast where we talk about books, we are doing our first ever holiday book drive. There is a school in Northern California called Rocket Ship Delta Prep, where 85% of the students live in poverty. 10% of the students live in what they call double up housing, which means two families live in the same home. And the kids read books at school that are photocopied and stapled together. That's how they're learning to read. So we at The Stacks decided we're doing a book drive. There are 474 four students at that school. I reached out to the teachers. I got a book list. It is up on our Amazon. If you go to at the Stacks pod on Instagram or the stackspodcast.com, you can find a link to that Amazon book list. We're donating 474 books to this school. So every kid gets to go home on December 20th with a brand new book just for them that's not photocopied. And for everyone who participates, there are 15 days of giveaway. So starting December 1st through December 15th, if you donate a book and send us a screenshot, you're entered to win. That's all you have to do. And you get to know that you did something nice for someone else's holiday season. So that starts December 1st. So it's already started when you're listening. We would really appreciate all the help you can give. Listeners, you know what to do. And we will put all the links in show notes too. So if you're driving, you don't need to pull over. We got you covered. All right. Are you ready to dive in? I'm so ready. Okay. Our first request comes from Liz. She says, my dad is near impossible to buy books for. He loves Tim Dorsey and Carl Hyacin and buys their books as soon as they're released. I gave him go like hell after hearing about it on What Should I Read Next? And he really loved this one. He collects vinyl records, especially from the 60s to 80s. He loves cars and one of his favorite TV shows is The X-Files. What do you think, Tracy? Okay, so what popped into my head based on the records and the TV show was Chuck Klosterman. He is a cultural critic. He's been writing for a long time. His, I think, most famous book is Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs, but has also got a book called I Wear the Black Hat and What If We're Wrong? And he just talks about the world and pop culture and uh, music and all that stuff in a really fun and interesting way. And so I thought, Liz, your dad might really like him. I got to say that my brother who collects vinyl, he introduced me to Chuck Klosterman. Oh, yeah? Yeah. We don't overlap a ton, but we both really like Chuck Klosterman. Also, but what if we're wrong has the most amazing acknowledgments at the end of like any book I've ever read. They're so... (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Tell your dad to read to the end. Well, what came to mind for me 
Uh, Go Like Hell is by A.J. Bame, who has also written a lot of historical nonfiction. Since he did like a narrative by that author, The Accidental President, Harry S. Truman, and The Four Months That Changed the World is a nonfiction history book that reads like a thrilling novel by the same author. Also, for The Cars, this one's a little weird because you can't go into your bookstore and buy it, but there is a new book out by Chris Lennon. He's a auto racer. His new book is called The Peak of Racing, and it is specifically about his experience racing and the history of the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb, which is this insane, this is the only auto race I could speak about with any intelligence (laughs) at all because I don't know anything. This is not my world. But we have family in Colorado. When we were out there a couple summers ago, we went to the Penrose Heritage Museum right by the Broadmoor, and half of it is dedicated to the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb. And I don't care about cars at all, and this whole thing is amazing. So Liz, I don't know where you are, but if you're near Colorado Springs, take your dad there. This book is, I don't believe available through like traditional retail outlets. You can get it online. I mean, they're driving cars up a mountain really, really fast. This does not sound like a good idea to me, Tracy. Mm -mm. It sounds terrifying. I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) But your dad may like the book. This one's from Steph. I would like to get a book from my friend Rebecca for Christmas, but she has very different book tastes from me. She is a Buddhist minimalist who lives by the ocean with her two dogs and does yoga daily. Her favorite author is Henry David Thoreau. She has also liked The Year of Less by Kate Flanders and When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi. Okay, Tracy, when I saw this, the first thing that came to mind was a new book just out September that is prominent on many Indies gift guides. It's Revolution of the Soul, Awaken to Love Through Raw Truth, Radical Healing, and Conscious Action. It's by Shane Korn. It's a really beautiful book, and she is a longtime yoga teacher and activist who's talking about pivotal moments in her life and how spirituality and yoga have been so significant there and how they work together. Mm. And the other book I wondered about was The Bright Hour, a beautiful memoir about death and dying. So it's not easy, but it's so good. It's by Nina Riggs, who also loved Thoreau and lived near where he lived. And there's so much Thoreau woven into this narrative about what makes life worth living and what makes it hard to leave behind. Okay, so I took both of the kind of prompts or two of the prompts. One is for When Breath Becomes Air, book that, books that are similar. The Unwinding of the Miracles by Julie Yip Williams. It is her, what I call death memoir. I don't know if that's actually the genre, but that's what I call it. Um, we covered this on the stacks with author Lori Gottlieb, who wrote, maybe you should talk to someone. She's the therapist. So we did The Unwinding of the Miracle and it's about Julie Yip Williams, who is, she was a lawyer, a mother. She immigrated from Vietnam and was born legally blind. She got married, had children, became a very successful lawyer, and then was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer, which about 88% of people die from within five years. As I mentioned, it's a death memoir, so it's not a spoiler. The book starts with this information, but she does end up dying, and it's very similar to When Breath Becomes Air. But it's a little bit more, not humorous, but she approaches death a little bit more like, this sucks. This is a crappy hand I've been dealt in this situation. And also, this is a beautiful thing that I'm able to see. So she really, she encompasses the whole scope of death and dying in a way that feels very human. Um, the other book in that same vein is Being Mortal by Atul Gawande, who is a doctor. This book is more about the healthcare system and the way that dying works in America and also how we think about dying. 
And then the last book I have for your friend, Rebecca, is The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up by Marie Kondo. I know it was a Netflix show. I know people like are over her. It doesn't bring you joy, whatever. I read the book. It brought me so much joy. It changed my life. I read it three years ago. I still do it. My house still doesn't have a bunch of junk in it. So if that's something that Rebecca's really interested in, I wholeheartedly believe in the book. So take that for what you will. Our producer, Brenna, also wanted to recommend a graphic memoir for Rebecca. It is The Initiates by Etienne Davido. She says it's meditative and gently purposeful. That is a truly unique book that I think Rebecca would appreciate. And truly unique books make amazing gifts. Yeah. Next up, we have an audio message from Lindsay. Hi, everybody. I was calling because I would love to hear your recommendation for my husband. He loves to read biographies and history. His favorites lately has been The Destiny of the Republic by Candace Millard. And um, he really enjoyed, or he's still enjoying, the story of Britain by Roy Strong. He doesn't have a lot of time to read because he's a student. He works full-time as an archives assistant. And so it's just a really busy time. But I would love to find a historical fiction pick for him that has that biographical historical element, but with a story that really grabs him and draws him in because he doesn't seek out that genre. He really gravitates towards nonfiction, but I would love for him to have a fun reading experience like that over Christmas break. I'd love to hear what you think. Talk to me about fun, Tracy. Okay, Lindsay, listen, I love you so much, but Lindsay, reading nonfiction is fun for some of us. Some of us love reading nonfiction. We're having a great time. And I think I think I could speak for your husband. He probably really has fun when he's reading nonfiction. That being said, I did listen to you and I have one nonfiction and one fiction recommendation for your husband. Both are fun. So the nonfiction recommendation is In the Garden of Beasts by Eric Larson. Pre-1940s Germany, an American ambassador is in Berlin. He's meeting Nazis. He's schmoozing with them. He's trying to figure out what is going on in Germany. And it's told through letters and through real historical documentation. And it's riveting. It's so good. I listened to it on audiobook on my cross-country drive from New York to California in 2012. And my husband and I still talk about the names of the people because they're just so German. It's unbelievable. And then the other one, more on track, is The Plot Against America by Philip Roth. I guess I got on a Nazi kick for you, Lindsay. I don't know why. (laughs) That's where we are. It's The Plot Against America. It's about what if the Nazis, they won, and then what happens next. But reading nonfiction is fun, I promise. (laughs) I love it. Tracy, you can keep saying that all day. (laughs) Okay, Lindsay, there's two books I'm wondering about for your husband. The first is Resistance Women by Jennifer Chiaverini. This came out last May, and it's a new historical novel inspired by the untold story, really, of an actual real-life woman with... Oh, it's been a while since I read this. I think she was a Wisconsin native, and she moved to Germany with her husband. But her story was previously untold because the U.S. government deliberately buried it after the war. And these documents were only released years later um, after the Cold War was over, and these documents were declassified. The bulk of the action takes place between the wars, beginning in 1929 and coming into World War II, but it centers on Mildred Harnack and her husband and friends who were members of the network of American and German resistance fighters the Gestapo called the 
Rosa Capella, which is the Red Orchestra. So there are some fictional elements in here, and don't miss the author's note in any books like this because the author will tell you exactly what is real and what is invented. And really, truth is stranger than fiction in some ways when you see like whose diplomat's daughters are doing what. It's so surprising. <laughs> I think it has the history and the narrative you're looking for. And the second book is speculative fiction by Ben H. Winters. It's called Underground Airlines, in which he mm. imagines what might have happened. Tracy, do you have thoughts about this book? I haven't read it, but I own it. It's been on my shelf for a long time. The Civil War never happened and slavery remains legal in four states. The person telling the story is a former slave who has paid a price that might almost be too high for the right to live free. It's got that history sci-fi mix. Really interesting. I want to read that now too. <laughs> Here's what Victoria says. I am looking for a recommendation for my husband who usually reads a few books a year for work. He's a chief development officer, so he focuses a lot of reading on team building and team leading, but I'd love to gift him something in a different genre. He's a big fan of, wait for it, wrestling biographies, and history, so he loves the behind-the-scenes looks. His top favorites are Hitman, My Real Life, and the Cartoon World of Wrestling by Bret Hart, and It's True, It's True by Kurt Angle. He also enjoys murder mysteries. He read the whole series of Dexter books by Jeff Lindsay. Tracy. Okay. This one really, I actually struggled because I love sports, but wrestling is truly the sport that I am the least into. But Lucky for you, Victoria, my dear best friend from college is this actor. His name is Josh Segura. He's fantastic. He was on Arrow. He's just really great. And he loves wrestling. And I make so much fun of him about it. When I saw your request, I text Josh and I said, okay, favorite wrestling book. And he responded in about 30 seconds and said, The Squared Circle by David Shoemaker, aka The Masked Man. It's all about life, death, and the world inside the ring. Apparently, it's amazing. I then went and looked it up. It's supposed to be great. I don't know your husband, Victoria. Maybe he's already read it. It seems like kind of an obvious one because I've actually heard of The Masked Man. But if he hasn't read it, Josh Segarra co-signs this. So that was a, I outsourced this one. So smart because readers finding the right book recommendations means knowing where to look. <laughs> so Tracy, something funny is you do dark. And I like visit there sometimes. Okay. But Brenna, our producer, she loves dark. And she wants to recommend that her husband read the graphic novel series, Chew. She says if he can do Dexter and he likes wrestling, he should be able to handle the comedic gore in it. It's got a main character he should be able to relate to and lots of mystery and hijinks. It's about a police detective with a, <laughs> Brenna calls it a totally gross superhuman ability. He can sense the past of objects and people by chewing them. It's a useful skill in his line of work, but tasting clues and suspects comes with a lot of awkward paperwork. Okay, you all, the human mind is boundlessly creative because <laughs> who comes up with this stuff? Who? <laughs> this one's from Monica. My son is nearly 16 and currently reading The General by Robert Muchmore. He enjoyed Lorian Legacies and Nethergrim series when he was younger, Saltline by Heather Goddard-Jones, and he likes Tom Clancy books, although they are a bit technical for him still. Shipbreaker by Paolo Basaglupi was also good. Basically adventure, especially if there are trains, ships, and military involved, because he's a sailor, model train kind of guy who likes history in school. What do you think, Tracy? I'm going to be honest with you, Anne. I kind of took some of these and just went with what popped into my heart. <laughs> And I don't know if this is spot on for your son, Monica, but this is what I do know. Every 
younger man between the ages of 18 and 22 that I know who has read this book has loved it. I read it. I loved it. I still think about it. So that being said, it is about history. It's called City of Thieves. It's a novel. Shocker. I read a novel. It's by David Benioff, who's one of the writers of the television program Game of Thrones. Again, Nazis. It's during the Nazi siege of Leningrad. A guy is arrested for looting and another guy is a deserter and they're paired up and they have to go secure a dozen eggs for a colonel or something to help make the Soviet colonel's wedding cake for his daughter. And so it's kind of an adventure story about two guys, younger guys, going through this lawless time in Nazi-occupied Leningrad or Nazi trying to occupy Leningrad. It's funny. It's thrilling. It's so good. It's right on for someone in a younger age group who reads older. I don't know if it's right on for someone who is older, 25, 28. This book might not resonate as much, but I know for younger folks, which is when I also read it, I just remember loving, loving, loving this book. This book was actually a favorite of Georgia Hunters who wrote We Were the Lucky Ones back on episode 157 of What Should I Read Next? Come to think of it, We Were the Lucky Ones would be a great book to read for any reader who's looking for a book that combines history, just a touch of fictional narrative really, really well. So I love that you brought that up. (laughs) Monica's request reminded me a lot of a young reader in my life. So I wanted to recommend a book that was pressed in my hands at Square Books in Oxford. Mississippi, actually Square Junior, which is an amazing store. And their booksellers were so great at taking all the time in the world to send me home with books for all the young people in my life. But the book I want to recommend is one that I didn't know existed and might not have been drawn to. It's called Symphony for the City of the Dead, Dmitry Shostakovich and the Siege of Leningrad. And it's by National Book Award winner M.T. Anderson. Now, ostensibly, this is a book about Shostakovich's Seventh Symphony, but it's about so, I mean, the music is fascinating and the author assumes that you don't know anything, which is great because I certainly didn't, neither did my young reader. But um, what it does is it puts the creation of that symphony in the historical context. And so you get to see the history leading up to and including the siege of Leningrad, which is something that so many readers, including myself, know so little about. And this is not dry history at all. It reads like a thrilling novel. I hear from readers that this is amazing on audio because of the music and just because of the narrative rhythm that it just sounds really beautiful. This is a YA book. So while it can certainly be enjoyed by adults, it's not going to be over the head for a 16-year-old reader. And then the second one I recommend is the, I believe, only historical fiction novel written by Michael Crichton. It's called The Great Train Robbery. And this is the story of a heist, this charming apparently well-to-do man, wants to steal a whole bunch of gold off a moving train in Victorian London. If you think he's not here for Victorian London, including the slang and the mores of the day, then skip right over it. But if he loves trains and the history of trains, this might be a good one. Okay, next we have an audio request from Stacy. Hi, Anne. My name is Stacy, and I'm looking for the perfect book for my husband of 10 years. He's been a lifelong reader, and I think it was one of his goals to turn me into the same. It took him nine years, but he succeeded, and now he's trying to keep up with me. So my husband is an outdoorsman. He's also a pastor, so he's always reading theology books while I'm immersed in a gripping novel. But I want to get him something that's a real page-turner outside of what he leans towards. The three main categories he loves are history, 
So he loved Undaunted Courage by Stephen Ambrose. The second is behavioral psychology, sociology, or economics. And the third is gripping biographies like Malcolm X. All right, Tracy, what do you think for Stacy's request? Okay, Stacy, here we go. First of all, like your husband, the autobiography of Malcolm X is one of my all-time faves ever, hands down, top five books of my life. So that being said... I was very excited in 2011 when Malcolm X, A Life of Reinvention by Manning Marable came out. It is a phenomenal book. Unlike the autobiography, it is more of a history of Malcolm X, but it unveils and uncovers some things about him and especially his murder that we didn't have, obviously, at the time of his autobiography. It's a fantastic book. So if your husband is still interested in Malcolm X, I would send him there in a heartbeat. The other book, if your husband is, you know, psychology, sociology, economics, history, all kind of in one, it's called Icarus Syndrome by Peter Beinhart. It's nonfiction. It's about three presidents and hubris. So it's why hubris does or doesn't work out for the American people. So part one is Woodrow Wilson. It's all about World War One. Part two is about JFK and then also Johnson and the Vietnam War. And then part three is about George Bush and Iraq and Afghanistan. But what's really interesting is that the author has shaped it all around hubris. So you're getting a lot of psychology and sociology. It's just a super interesting, smart book. Uh, both my recommendations are backlist. I read a while back and they still stick with me and I think about them all the time. Tracy, I love the sound of that. This one's from Trisha. My husband likes legal thrillers, mysteries, and biographies. He's read all of Grisham and Cornwell, but thinks that their earlier work is stronger. He likes presidential biographies, but has read many of them. He loved the six-volume Churchill series and liked The Blind Assassin by Atwent. Tracy, what should he read next? I had to ask my husband for help on this one because I do read biographies, but I don't read thrillers and mysteries and I don't, I'm not a huge biography person, but my husband said Einstein by Walter Isaacson is one of his favorite books ever. And my husband loves a biography. He has read a ton of them. He's so into it. So that would be my recommendation, but I can't co-sign it, but I love and trust my husband. (laughs) (laughs) If you're listening, honey, I love you a lot. Thanks for helping. Going from Grisham and Cornwell I'm wondering about the novels of Danielle Silva. There are a ton of them. They are ostensibly spy thrillers. However, Silva has a knack for pulling contemporary news events, like pulled from the headlines and working them into his stories. Also something he's done, he had to write a uh, a little description in the front of his book. I think it's called Black Widow, where he had to say, hey, when I wrote this and turned this in, I had no idea that the terrorist events that I describe in these pages were about to become frighteningly real, like any resemblance is purely coincidental. I'm sharing that because I think it goes to show that he's writing books that uh, feel very realistic. They're more spy and political thrillers than legal thrillers, though you do get the rogue lawyer in there. And I think if you love Grisham and Cornwell, these books are going to nestle in nicely there. This is from Laura. My daughter is a big reader. Laura, we're always happy to hear that. She has an interest in public health and science, but also reads about social justice. I think she would be up for trying fiction or nonfiction, but nothing too sappy or romancy. She really likes essays by Rebecca Solnit, and she has recommended The New Jim Crow to me. She rereads Ella Enchanted at least annually and reads everything in between. What do you think, Tracy? 
Well, I think I love your daughter, Laura. (laughs) It sounds like my kind of gal. Okay, some things just popped right into my head. First of all, medical apartheid by Harriet A. Washington. It's public health, it's science, and it's social justice. Harriet Washington is an ethicist. She's a fellow at Harvard Medical School. She has worked in public health. She's a bioethicist. She's just a very smart woman. She wrote a book called Medical Apartheid. It is about racism in the medical system, specifically anti-Black racism. So she's talking about one of the things that is the most obvious, I think, case of medical racism that we often think of is the Tuskegee syphilis study. So that's in the book. But she's also talking about um, how the modern day cesarean section was practiced on slaves without any form of painkillers, even though they existed at the time, how those were experiments. She's talking about all the different ways that racism has played into the American health system. It's a fantastic book. And if your daughter likes medical apartheid, Harriet Washington has actually written three other books. I, I could Honestly, Laura, I could recommend books to your daughter for years. (laughs) I'm like trying to talk really fast so that I could get them all in. On the other side, a closer to Rebecca Solnit, but still social justice-y would be Thick by Tressie McMillan-Cottom. She is fantastic. I have to brag a little bit. I was able to interview her on the stacks and it's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite episodes. Tressie writes essays all about and centering Black women. These essays are phenomenal. She's shortlisted for the National Book Award. And then also in the same line of Rebecca Solnit, Good and Mad by Rebecca Traster, who is a pretty well-known opinion writer. She writes for the New York Times. She just wrote a great piece for The Cut about female political candidates. And it's all about women's anger and how transformative it is. And in that same line, Eloquent Rage by Brittany Cooper, who is a Black woman who wrote an amazing book. It's a memoir meets nonfiction all about her own personal rage and how and where that comes from and how it's useful. Those would be my first recommendations for your daughter, but like, (laughs) call me, slide into my DMs. I could go for years on this one. I love it. (laughs) Books that came to mind for me, it's The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma. It's by Bessel van der Kolk. It's about overcoming trauma and the fascinating unexpected, sometimes vexing ways that mind and body are connected. This is a book about overcoming trauma, which means there are hard things in the pages of these books. But Laura, it sounds like your daughter is a mature reader, a sophisticated reader. And I want to give readers a heads up that there's not easy stuff in these pages, but I, I don't think it's too far afield of what she's currently reading. I read this book because I thought I should and because I was researching a project, but oh my goodness, it's so fascinating. And something that Vander Kolk points out explicitly is that trauma affects so many of us that it changes the fabric of the society that we live in. When you have people who have endured trauma walking around living lives, bumping up against other people who live trauma, that is a public health issue. And so he says that one of his callings and one of the most important things he does in his clinic is create healthier communities by creating healthier people. The second book is very different, squarely in that public health and science space. It is Ghost Map, the story of London's most terrifying epidemic and how it changed science, cities, and the modern world by Stephen Johnson. And I know it sounds like a bold claim, but seriously, this book is about the 1854 Broad Street cholera outbreak that took place in London, and it's arguably the deadliest in London's history. Johnson says that many people are probably familiar with the broad outlines of the story because it's a classic 
public health story that even people who aren't in the field know. But what he said, and something that really inspired him to write this book, is that the story we've all been told gets many of the facts wrong, and it ignores a whole lot of the most interesting things. Specifically said, in his words, he said, so many of the issues that define the modern world today, the runaway growth of megacities, environmental crises, fears of apocalyptic epidemics, digital mapping, the need for clean water, urban terror, the rise of amateur expertise, are all there in embryo in the Broad Street outbreak. Readers, if you don't have a public health interest, but just love a good piece of narrative nonfiction, this is the book for you. Okay, this one's from Aaron. I love a book gift recommendation for my husband who is not a big reader. His favorite book is To Kill a Mockingbird, and he liked Becoming by Michelle Obama and The Band. He still loves Marvel Comics, has read several graphic novels, but isn't only interested in that. He is a video game artist and has an hour train commute, so I have recently gotten him into audiobooks, which he still considers cheating. Okay, I'll take that first. It's not cheating. It's It's really not cheating. You can read with your ears or read with your eyes and your brain thinks it's the same. Stepping off my soapbox, what would you recommend to this reader, Tracy? I haven't read this book, but I've heard great things. Furious Hours, Murder, Fraud, and the Last Trial of Harper Lee. I've heard really good things from people who I know who love nonfiction. I also am recommending it because you said that your husband's favorite book is To Kill a Mockingbird. I don't know if you don't love Harper Lee going in that you'll love it. But from what I understand, it's really great reporting and it's super interesting. But again, I've not read it, but I've heard such good things. So I feel comfortable recommending it. I've also heard it's an amazing book for generating discussion. Yes, 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 totally. Yeah, I I think that's also what I've heard mostly, like that it's very thought-provoking, which I like. And then the other book I'm recommending is called Good Talk by Mira Jacobs. It's her graphic memoir told through conversations. It's about being American. It's about an American identity. It's about interracial families. It's about what divides us, what brings us together. It's been on all sorts of lists already this year. I believe it was on Time's Best Books of the Year, their top 10, not their top 100. Maybe he hasn't read it yet because it's just it came out this year. It's not like a Marvel comic, though. It's it's a serious memoir, but told in this really beautiful way. Brenna wants to chime in with a graphic novel recommendation because this is her favorite thing. She mm. says, I Kill Giants by Joe Kelly would be a great pick. Erin, she also suggested that you give him that book and then watch the extremely good movie adaptation together because it could make for a great conversation. Next up is from Jamie. My dad loves political thrillers and historical narrative nonfiction. A year or two ago, I gave him Killers of the Flower Moon for his birthday, and he still talks about what a great book it was. I'd love to give him another book he can't stop talking about for Christmas this year. Jamie, I read like your dad. <laughs> I don't read like all dads, but Jamie, I read, I read like your dad. Okay, here we go. I feel very confident in these, Jamie. Bad Blood by John Carreyrou. It's about Theranos, which was, if you don't know, it's a story of Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes, who's the founder CEO of the company that was supposed to be able to take one drop of your blood and do all this testing. And it was a total scam. The book is fantastic. John Carreyrou is actually the journalist from the Wall Street Journal who exposed the story. So he writes the book and it's great. Under the Banner of Heaven is by John Krakauer. It is about fundamental and also generally the Mormon religion. If you're not familiar with John Krakauer, he usually takes one small story, very personal small, and then also takes the history of where that story fits into the world and combines them. He's one of my favorite authors, so I feel comfortable recommending 
everything or anything that he's written because I've read it all. But Under the Banner of Heaven is particularly true crime meets history in the same way Killers of the Flower Moon. And then the last one, one of my favorite books, I couldn't do a recommendation show without recommending it at least once, is A Thousand Lives by Julia Shears. It's about Jonestown. Julia does just the most incredible job of telling this story about Jim Jones, but making it about all of the victims of his ultimate murder of almost a thousand humans, which just had its 41st anniversary a few weeks back. Um, So those would be my recommendations. But Jamie, you could also slide into my DMs and I could give you a couple hundred more. So those recommendations sound perfect, Tracy. Okay, next we have a request from Nicole. She says, I'm all about doing the Icelandic Jolabokaflod or book flood for Christmas Eve this year. Every bookworm's dream, right? It's hard to surprise my husband with books because we read so differently until more recently. I surprised him with The River by Peter Heller and he loved it. So did I. He enjoys science fiction, but reads a lot of nonfiction from Malcolm Gladwell and Bill Bryson. Long books are not a problem for him. Tracy, what would you recommend for Nicole's husband? The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. It came out this year. It's based in a true story, based in true reporting about a reform school for boys in Florida. And it follows these two boys. And it's just so beautifully written. It's super short. It's 212 pages, which is, I think, the perfect length for any novel. But it's really, it's just great. I mean, he is someone who knows how to write really well. And then more along the nonfiction lines, Mountains Beyond Mountains by Tracy Kidder, which is about Paul Farmer. Paul Farmer is a doctor who specializes in infectious disease. He's based out of Boston, or at least he was during the writing of this book. And it's all about his journey, mostly in Haiti, mostly dealing with the AIDS crisis, but also just about medicine and infectious disease and kind of how we're all connected. And it's just a beautiful story. This book is definitely on the longer side. And then my last suggestion is anything by John Ronson. He kind of writes in a similar role to Malcolm Gladwell and Bill Bryson. It's kind of pop psychology. Um, One of his books that's very popular is called The Psychopath Test. Um, It's super interesting. And then his other book that people really love is So You've Been Publicly Shamed. And it's all about how instead of putting people in the stocks now, we put people on social media stocks and we call people out. And it's about how this functions in society and how public shaming functions. And it's a really interesting look at the psychology of having a scapegoat. I loved that book. So you've been publicly shamed. And also I found it is a person who lives in the 21st century who uses the internet completely terrifying. It's scary. Mm-hmm. But so absorbing. Yeah, because he finds a way to get both the reason why and also to terrify you with the anecdotal stories of people in their lives who have made mistakes. Well, I have a novel for Nicole's husband, and it is Pivoting Off the River. Not at all the same, but definitely in the same vein. These books could be cousins, and that is The Current by Tim Johnston. This is another 2019 release, another book set on a river. But the way the stories unfold and just the feel of them are different, even though they're both dark, broody, and suspenseful. Uh, This one is set in the frigid cold. It begins with two college women who have very different backgrounds, but thanks to bad luck and one impulsive offer, they set out on a road trip that is 
doomed and their car plunges into a Minnesota river and only one of them survives. But the thing here is that these circumstances, and they are definitely suspicious, they bear an uncanny resemblance to the death of another young girl in the same river, almost the same spot a decade before. So you have a survivor struggling to come to terms with her friend's death. And for reasons she can't quite grasp, her own safety remains precarious. And that has everything to do with what happened in this community years before. Uh, It's so atmospheric and broody in the same way the river was, but this novel is almost twice as long. So Tracy, you would say it isn't a perfect (laughs) novel, but I hope for Nicole's husband, it might be. This is from Kate. I'm hoping you can help me choose a gift for my soon-to-be sister-in-law, Amanda. She works in historical restoration in Savannah, Georgia, is extremely handy, and works on her car and motorcycles herself. Literally, she's the coolest. Mm-hmm. We both love to read, so I really want to prime her for our kick-butt sisters-in-law friendship. She loved Einstein, His Life in Universe by Walter Isaacson. Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, An Inquiry into Values by Robert Piercig, and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest by Ken Kesey. Tracy, what do you think? Okay, Kate, listen, you're going to be in the very cool club because I have two sister-in-laws and they're both amazing, one from my husband and one from my brother. And it's the best when your sister-in-law is awesome and reads. So shout out to Sarah and Robin, my girls. I have actually recommended both of these books to both of my sister-in-laws. So the first is The Reckonings by Lacey M. Johnson. This book is a book of essays. It is probably one of my favorite reads from 2018. Basically, the backstory is that Lacey Johnson was a victim of rape by her ex-boyfriend. And she wrote a book about this, her memoir called The Other Side. And it's a fantastic book. Obviously, given what I've just said, this book is can be very dark. It is very triggering for people. So if you're thinking about it and that feels like something that might make you upset, it definitely will. So I'm just giving that warning. But The Reckonings came out of her book tour where when she went on tour for The Other Side, people would ask her, what do you want to see happen to the man who did this to you? And she thought about this question. And then she ended up writing a series of essays all about justice, joy, revenge. And she does it through a bunch of different current events. So she lives in Houston. One of the essays is about Hurricane Harvey and what justice looks like for people whose homes were flooded. There is an essay about art and its relationship to money, um, given that in Houston, a lot of the art is funded by oil companies. That's kind of how they give back, especially after the oil spill. So she takes these current events and she juxtaposes them with the ideas of justice. And this book will give you so much to talk about with your sister-in-law. You guys could both read it. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful book. She is another professional writer. She has a PhD in poetry. So the writing is just so juicy and good, but she's tackling these really tricky topics. And if you are reading this book, read the notes. Trust me, the notes are as good as the book itself. And then my other recommendation is The Far Away Brothers by Lauren Markham. This is a book all about two brothers who come from either El Salvador or Honduras, <laughs> and I can't remember, but they come up through Mexico to America. They uh, are undocumented, unaccompanied minors, and it's about their life once they get to America, where one of their other brothers is. It's about their journey coming here. It, again, will give you a lot to talk about given current events and the way that migration and immigration has become such a hot topic. It's a great thing for you and your sister to be able to reflect on. 
And then the last thing I'll say is that I learned this from my aunt who was dear friends with my father and she always called him her brother. And so I just want to impart that to you, Kate, that I actually call my sister-in-laws my sisters. Oh, I love that. It makes me happy. And I'd love that you get to share the reading life with them as well. Yeah, it's so good. Tracy, this is our last one. Okay. This one is from Megan. I am looking for recommendations for my dad for Christmas. My dad loves to be outdoors. We live in a small northern Ontario town. And whenever he took me ice fishing, canoeing, or out to cut wood, I always had a book with me. My dad, on the other hand, was late to discover reading. At first, I think he was reading to make me happy. But now, 30 years later, he is a regular reader. Megan's dad loved The Century Trilogy by Ken Follett. The Book of Negroes by Lawrence Hill and The Girl with a Dragon Tattoo by Stieg Larsson. He hates going to the library by himself and relies on my mom to find him a book or for my husband or I pass something on to him. The lunchroom at the lumber mill where he works also has a bookshelf, so he has discovered a few authors this way like Clive Cussler. Recently, he was in the bookstore and picked up a Danielle Steele book, not because he is a fan, but because he recognizes her name. I can picture my mom rolling her eyes at this when he came home. I think a series or an author with many similar books is best for him, as he tends to find something he likes and sticks with it. A historical element is also important. He recently read a nonfiction about the Vietnam War, and he loved it. The whole family learned many facts during that month. What do you think, Tracy? Okay, Megan, love your dad. Feel like <laughs> feel like he and I are definitely on the same page. Okay, so historical books. The first one I'm going to start with, it's called Hue, but it's spelled H-U-E. It's by Mark Bowden. It's about a moment in the Vietnam War. It was a turning point. It's a Hue is a village and the um, United States Army went in, et cetera, et cetera. And it's all about this. It's a huge, massive book. But the best part about Mark Bowden is Mark Bowden has only casually written a ton of books. So he is the author of Black Hawk Down. He wrote a book about killing Pablo, which is about Pablo Escobar. He wrote a book about killing Osama bin Laden. Um, so he's got a ton of books about historical events. He writes in these great ways. If you've ever read or seen Black Hawk Down, you kind of get a sense of how he is a storyteller in that way. So that's someone that if your dad likes, he's got a ton of content to read. And then the other option, also historical, one of my all-time faves is called Blood in the Water by Heather Ann Thompson. It's about the Attica prison uprising in 1971. It's kind of in that same Vietnam history space, which I feel like, I can't speak for your dad, but I know a lot of men of a certain age really love being able to go back and visit a time when they were younger that they remember, but kind of seeing it in a new light. I actually think that's probably true for all people of all different ages. But I think when you get to be older, you're excited to look back at the life that you lived and the events that you remember. So Blood in the Water is about Attica. It won the Pulitzer. So I'm not saying anything new about this book. It's fantastic. Everybody agrees. It's a big mm-hmm. book. It's a little intimidating because you think, how could there possibly be 500 pages? And then you start reading it. And I mean, I read it in four days. I could not put it down. I had dreams about being in Attica. It's just fantastic. And then the last one, which I have not read, but I've heard amazing things about, is called Say Nothing by Patrick Rad- Radden Keefe. It's about Northern Ireland and that time in the 1980s when there was the IRA and they were fighting and kind of another another war type situation that it was long listed for the National Book Award this year. Those all sound amazing, especially Say Nothing, which I knew nothing about. I can't wait to read it. It's on my list. I just, I haven't been able to get to it and I am just chomping at the bit. 
Well, for Megan's dad, I like the sound of the books by Richard Russo, especially his earlier ones, which seem to be about people dealing with crushing life events while living ordinary lives in working class towns, primarily in New England. He writes very few that are sequential, but they cluster together and they have a familiar feel to them. And Russo is a professional writer, if ever there was one. The man Mm. knows how to string his words together. And then also... There's an old book by Tim O'Brien I like, and he's written several great books about war and its lasting effects. The Things They Carried. So good. And I'm tempted to go that direction. But because of what she said, I'm really tempted to point him first towards going after Cacciato. Oh. It's not for everyone. It requires a serious suspension of disbelief and like an acknowledgement that, okay, like O'Brien is going to take you to some weird places. So you have to feel like you're in good hands or you're just not going to want to go there (laughs) because he really blurs the lines between reality and imagination. It unfolds in a very dreamlike way, but there's a soldier in Vietnam who decides like this is enough of that. He begins hiking to Paris, but some of his fellow soldiers are told to go bring him back, thus the title. So that's the basic setup. You have a soldier who wants to leave the war. Over this basic plot, O'Brien overlays Alice in Wonderland, and there are all these incredible, dreamy, unbelievable is what I really mean by incredible references and literary allusions. And they literally fall down a rabbit hole. And if you don't understand the one book, you cannot understand the other. But if you take them both together, it is probably not a stretch to say it will not be like anything you have ever read before. That sounds so good. I'm going to read that. So Tracy, you may not read like everybody's dads. No. But you read like some people's dads. And I hope we brought those people some good book recommendations today. Yeah, I hope so. Do people come back to you and tell you what they think? They do. Okay. They do. But even if they didn't, I came away from our conversation with so many books for my list. And also, if I want to give them to my father and my father-in-law, well, that's just bonus. Well, let me know if you do. I'm excited. (laughs) Oh, I will. And we will report back. Yeah. Thank you so much for not only talking books with me today, but for functioning as like the literary recommendation dispensing machine. And thank you guys for writing in. This is so awesome. Yeah. Listeners, we loved your requests, even if we may have been temporarily baffled. Yeah, <laughs> we hope we delivered, and we want we want to hear. Please leave comments or write us. You can send it to Brenna at Brenna B R E N N A at modernmrsdarcy dot com, and let us know what you chose for the gifties on your wish list, and if you get to hear what they thought about what they read next after you gave them their present. Well, we want to hear about that too. Tracy, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for talking books with me. Thank you, Anne. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed our gift suggestions for your hard to buy for loved ones. And honestly, maybe for yourself. I'd love to hear what you are giving this holiday. And if you identify with Tracy and other readers who joke that they read like a dad, we'd love to hear some of your top picks in the comment section. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 212. That's 212. And it's where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. If you enjoyed today's episode, you're going to want to subscribe to Tracy's show, The Stacks Podcast, as well. You can find Tracy on Twitter at Stacks Podcast, and The Stacks is on Instagram at The Stacks Pod. If you're on Twitter, say hello there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B is in books, O G E L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading, 
You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Our newsletter subscribers are the first to know all our news and happenings. If you're not on the list, fix that now by visiting what should I read next podcast.com slash newsletter and you'll get our free weekly delivery. If you enjoy this podcast, our love language around here is ratings and reviews. Please share what should I read next with a friend, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, or share the show on your favorite social media platform. We would be so grateful. And that love language applies to authors as well. If you've read my book, I'd rather be reading. I would be most grateful for a review on Goodreads or Amazon. Even a quick one or two sentence review means a lot to an author and helps more readers find I'd rather be reading. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, You can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment.